0: How are these articles divided, referring back to the articles of the Apostles' Creed, which were presented in Lord's Day 7, into three parts? The first is about God the Father and our creation, the second, about God the Father and our redemption, the third, about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. So far the Confession of the Church. After the sermon, we'll sing Hymn 28, stanza 7. Beloved Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord's Day 8 is a rather short Lord's Day in our Heidelberg Catechism. It's also a Lord's Day which seems to present us with some bare facts, which we may consider to be rather theoretical and abstract. First of all, a brief statement about the division of the Apostles' Creed, which simply tells us that God the Father is the one who was involved with our creation, God the Son who was involved primarily with our redemption, and God the Holy Spirit, who is primarily involved with our (coughs) sanctification. It seems to be just some bare facts, and then a statement about the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, that there are three persons in the one divine being, because the Bible says so. It's a Lord's Day which we may consider to be rather abstract. But, brothers and sisters, we are not just dealing with some abstract facts here. We are dealing with our confession about God. This is our God. forever and ever. And so you understand that what we're confessing this afternoon has great implications for our lives. It has everything to do with what we heard this morning from Psalm 48, where the psalmist says as a climax, right at the very last verse of that psalm, this is our God. And that holds tremendous comfort for us. That holds tremendous meaning for us. And so I summarize it this afternoon as follows We confess the Triune God. And we'll know three things, two things. First of all, He has revealed Himself as three in one. And secondly, He is at the foundation of our lives. We believe in the Triune God, He has revealed Himself as three in one. He is at the foundation of our lives. We stand before a tremendous mystery, something which we cannot comprehend. As brief as this Lord's Day is, brothers and sisters, it still is a very complex confession that we are making. It's one which is beyond our comprehension. Did you know That in the early Christian church, there were many struggles about the doctrine of God. That's why we have not only the Apostles' Creed, which we will use this afternoon in unison with the church of all times and places, but we also have the Nicene Creed and we have the Athanasian Creed. The Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed arose as expansions on the doctrine of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those expansions were necessary because when people tried to understand the doctrine of God, people ran stuck and they ended up with heresy. People wanted to maintain that there is one God, but they tried to understand how there can be three persons in the one divine being. Rather than simply confess, they tried to understand, and they ended up with wrong teaching. I'll give you two examples. You've probably heard of Arius, and his teaching, he said, living in the first few centuries after Christ, around 400 AD, he said, God the Father? Yes. Divine Being? God the Son? No. The first creature, elevated to be sure, but still a creature. God the Holy Spirit? No. Some kind of force, a power. And he was condemned for that as heretical. Another example... Others said that the three persons of the so-called divine being were simply manifestations in different form. There's one God who takes on different modes. Sometimes he appears as the Father, other times he appears as the Son, and still other times he appears as the Holy Spirit. But there is one God who takes on different modes. That's how people try to grapple with what Scripture teaches about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their being but one divine being. If you look at Lord's Day 8, question and answer 25, you notice how carefully the Heidelberg Catechism poses its question about the Holy Trinity. Question 25 Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? That's our starting point. There is only one God, but why do we speak of three persons? Scripture clearly speaks about there being one God. I think, for example, of Isaiah chapter 45, Where God speaks in the singular. I will go before you, says the Lord God. And the Lord God says that He is the Lord who created the heavens, who formed the earth, who established it. He is God. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. It's in the singular. There is one God. But then when you reflect on the passages that we read this afternoon, you know that Scripture speaks in terms of a plurality of persons. Already on the first pages of Holy Scripture, we meet the Holy Trinity, In Genesis chapter 1, we hear God speaking in the plural. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. But then you hear God speaking in the singular. By way of his revelation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. He created them. Scripture speaks in terms of plurality of persons. In the New Testament, it becomes ever more clear. That's why we read Matthew 3. The voice from heaven spoke. The voice of the Father. And the Holy Spirit came down upon Christ, who was in the Jordan. Having just been baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed there at the Jordan. Three persons in the one divine being. We know that the Lord Jesus presented himself as true God. He did not present himself as the first creature. He had said in John 8, Verse 58, before Abraham was, I am, thereby indicating that he is true God. Yahweh. And each person of the Holy Trinity is accorded divine honor. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we hear that command to go out and baptize. And every time we witness a baptism, we are reminded of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We receive the name of the triune God at our baptism. We are baptized into the name of the triune God. And every time we leave a worship service, we receive a blessing from the triune God, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three in one, and the church confesses the Holy Trinity. We don't understand this. We cannot comprehend it. But we receive it in faith, just as we receive so many other things in Holy Scripture that we do not understand. If God were totally within our comprehension, if we could figure this out, if we could split this apart and put it together again and keep it all together in our thinking, who would God be? What kind of God would he be? He is the creator and we are his creatures and we must know our place and we must understand that we cannot figure out God. I think again of what we read in Isaiah chapter 45, where God makes very clear that he is the one who is far above us. Woe to him who strives with him, who formed him a pot among earthen pots Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making, or your work has no handles? That's what God said to his people in the days of Isaiah when they were questioning God. And we can apply this to the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Who are we as creatures to say to God that we cannot accept this doctrine of the Holy Trinity because we cannot understand it? And who are we to reject God because we cannot comprehend this particular doctrine? The Athanasian Creed does not try to understand it either. It's a very lengthy creed, a rather cumbersome creed. But it says this about the Holy Trinity. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreate. The Son uncreate. And the Holy Spirit uncreate. The Father is infinite. The Son infinite. The Holy Spirit infinite. The Father is eternal. The Son eternal. The Holy Spirit eternal. Yet there are not three Eternals, but one eternal. Just as there are not three uncreates or three infinites, but one uncreate and one infinite. The Athanasian Creed does not offer an explanation. The Athanasian Creed merely confesses scriptural teaching without trying to subject it to human understanding. That's faith. And the Christian Church says, This is God, our God, forever and ever. And he will be our guide even to death. Does that mean that our faith is irrational? That we turn off our minds and just mindlessly accept that which we cannot understand? No. That means faith is supra-rational. It is something that is in a category all by itself. It is above and beyond reason. In Lord's Day 7, we confess that true faith is that we accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. And Holy Scripture speaks to us in so many places about the fact that God is three in one. And when Scripture speaks about God as such, brothers and sisters, Scripture makes very clear that this is full of practical implications for us because this triune God is at the foundation of our lives. The Heidelberg Catechism does not try to explain this doctrine, but the Heidelberg Catechism tells us the tremendous riches that we have in the triune God— the Father in our creation, the Son in our redemption, the Holy Spirit in our sanctification. We owe our very existence to the Father. We owe our redemption to the Son. We owe our sanctification to the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Holy Trinity were involved in each of these different works. And there are all kinds of scripture references to show that. But the Father's primary work was creation. The Son's primary work was redemption. And the Holy Spirit's primary work is sanctification. And that's why we said at the beginning this doctrine of the Holy Trinity does not take on an existence of its own. And it shouldn't. And we shouldn't consider it as something abstract. Because the Catechism speaks about God the Father and our creation. And it speaks about God the Son and our redemption. It speaks about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Just like Psalm 48 speaks about the city of our God. That's something very personal. Our God. Indeed, He is at the foundation of our lives. God created us. God called us into being. God put us on this earth at this particular place and at this particular time. Psalm 139 speaks about that so beautifully when it says that God knows our coming and going, our sitting down and our rising. He knows everything. He is the God of our existence. He is the God of our creation. He is the God of providence. He is the God who goes with us all the days of our lives. He's the God who watches over us. He's the God who makes all things work together for our salvation. He made it so beautiful, but we ruined it. We fell into sin. But God continued on with us. He established the covenant of grace with us. He made provision for our salvation by sending his son. The father is the source of our salvation. He is the source of our salvation because he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And the son came. He came as our redeemer. He came into this world to fulfill all righteousness for us. He fulfilled all the requirements of God's law for us where we fell. He paid the price for all our sins by going to the cross for us. He loved us even to death. His own death on the cross. He conquered Satan and death by his death And resurrection. And he has washed us. From all our sins. He is the pioneer of our salvation. He is the one who paved the way for us. To the father in heaven. In the covenant of grace. By his death and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit is the one who works on us. From day to day. He is the one who works faith in our hearts. He is the one who dwells in God's people and who renews God's people. He is the one who breaks down the power of sin in our lives and who makes us live out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that just as we were buried with Christ by baptism into his death, so are we raised to walk in newness of life by Christ's resurrection power. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we begin to leave behind the things of the old nature and to put on the things of the new nature. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, we leave behind the ways of death, the ways that lead to death. And we walk in the way of life, the way that leads to eternal life. The Spirit imparts to us what we have in Christ. And as such, the Holy Spirit is the applier of our salvation because he works faith in us. So that we appropriate the gospel of salvation and share in Christ and all his saving merits. This is our God. This is our God. The source of our salvation, the pioneer of our salvation, the applier of our salvation, our creator, our redeemer, our sanctifier. And in every one of those respects, brothers and sisters, the triune God is at the foundation of our lives. He is our personal God. And in the covenant of grace, we have a personal relationship with him. We may be children of the Father through the Son, and because the Holy Spirit works in us. You see, brothers and sisters, this is what it means, that God is at the foundation of our lives. And that's why, in the early Christian church, the doctrine of the Trinity was so important. That's why we not only have the Apostles' Creed, but also the Nicene Creed, And the Athanasian Creed. They fought about it because they wanted to hold on to God and everything that God has revealed about Himself, about His being, and about His work, and about who He is for us. Because we know God in relationship with Him. And this is crucial because if God, the Father, is only God and Christ is only the first created being, then we have no Savior. And then the wrath of God still stands against us because no one would have been able to bear the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver us from it. If the Holy Spirit is not true God, we would continue to walk in sin. We would never lift our hearts on high to God in heaven because the unspiritual man does not seek the things of God. Because they are foolishness to him. The Spirit must work in our hearts by whose power we seek the things above. And when we start to seek the things above through the working of the Holy Spirit, then we also begin to leave behind the things of the fallen nature and put on the things of God. That new nature, then the walls of resistance can be broken. But if the Holy Spirit is not true God, then the walls of resistance in our sinful hearts would never be broken down. And we would never look up to God. And we would never begin to walk in newness of life. So everything is at stake. And that's why the Athanasian Creed says, so he who desires to be saved should think thus of the Trinity. Moreover, this is the Catholic faith. Unless a man believes it faithfully and steadfastly, he cannot be saved. Lord's Day 8 is a very Short Lord's Day, a very straightforward Lord's Day in its wording, but very complex in its meaning, and in its outworking. Everything is at stake, and the Athanasian Creed makes that very clear. So he who desires to be saved should think thus of the Trinity. By God's grace, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we confess this doctrine. We confess that God is three in one, that there are three persons in the one divine being. By God's grace, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we confess that this God is our God and that he is at the foundation of our lives. All blessing, honor, thanks, and praise to Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.